0: Hey, great to see everybody this morning. I I knew I was taking a chance when I told you to say hello uh, because, man, there was a lot of great conversation going on out in the lobby and on the front steps this morning. A lot of people being able to catch up. It's great. Uh, Every week we continue to see members of our church family that we have not seen in a long time. And so it's great to be able to have these conversations and to catch up with one another. And and then we're able to see new families and and new friends. And so we're so thankful that you are here. If this is your first time being with us here at East Brainerd, we ask you to do something for us. Uh, Right there on the front, or I guess on the back of the pew, in front of you, uh, you'll see a card that looks something like this. And it says, if you are new here, we just ask for you to text the word CONNECT. Just that word to 423-455-5530. You'll get a response back and and then uh, you'll be able just to give us a little bit of information about yourself. We'd appreciate if you would do that. And then if you're a returning guest or a part of our EB family, just scan that QR code and uh, check in for us. Let us know that you're here. We appreciate very much you doing that. And again, it's just great to be able to see so many people who are able to get back. And I know some of you are traveling. Uh, You're in town because you are on a little bit of a vacation. It's been a while since you've been able to do that, and we're grateful that you decided to stop in and to be with us. Keep remembering our own families who are going to be traveling over the next few weeks. I know that next weekend is going to be a camp for all of our uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, so moms and dads, be ready for that. Kiddos, be ready. A lot of great things that are going on. And to just keep everybody in your prayers as we are going to be scattered out more and more over these next few weeks. And people are going to be going to be traveling. As you see on the screen, we're talking about the sweet spot, the joy of a promised land life. It's that part of the bat where you don't even feel when the ball hits it. It is such a great feeling when everything, it seems, strikes in just the right in just the right way. And if you've ever experienced this, you long to get it back. I told you a couple of weeks ago that I hit one home run in my entire high school career and it gets farther and farther the older that I get. I mean, boom! I mean, there it went. I mean, it's just still going. I mean, I think it hit the lights and there were sparks, you know? And and then there was, there was a pain in my side as I started going around the bases and oh, that's a reference that a lot of you guys don't get because you don't remember the natural, but anyway, it was a great experience because it hit the sweet spot of the bat. And, and we long to be able to live in the sweet spot of life. It doesn't mean that everything goes right, but it means that we are experiencing the best days with God. We're experiencing a promised land life. And here's the whole premise. We believe that our best days with God are ahead of us. That we have not already experienced the best that God has to offer. Individually, as a family, as a church body. our best days are still ahead of us and we want to try to get that point across to you this summer as we're looking into the book of Joshua and we're looking at a people that went in to inherit something that was called the promised land. It was the land of Canaan and that land of Canaan, man it was prime property. I mean it was the real estate that everyone wanted because it it had access from Africa to Europe and, and then there was access to the Mediterranean. Its fields were fertile and it was a place that the Bible describes it flowing with milk and honey. But most importantly, it was a land that 700 years before the book of Joshua was even written, it was a land that was promised to the descendants of Abraham. You see, God had told Abram, I will give this land to your descendants. And it was in this land, this very land, that you would see the the cities of Jerusalem and Bethlehem birthed. It was in this land that that the people would witness the temple sacrifices. And it would be in this land that the heralds of God would cry out their prophecies. The Messiah would be born in this land. He would walk and he would teach in this land. He would live and he would die and he would live again in this land land and so when the Hebrews took their first steps onto Canaan soil they were not merely claiming a physical inheritance they were setting the stage for God's spiritual legacy God had promised Abram I will make you a great nation he had made a promise that the descendants of Abram would one day experience the joy of a promised land life but by the time that the Hebrews stepped onto Canaan's land They were gonna get their inheritance, but they found that Canaan was occupied. And there were some big dudes and some big dudettes who were there in this land. But God's promise was clear. This land is for you. That was God's plan for his people. But Satan's response was also clear. Contaminate the promised land with ungodly people. Use them to destroy God's people and by doing so, then eliminate God's plan. You see, the, the hedonistic inhabitants of, of Canaan, well, they were a means to Satan's end. And as we read through Joshua, it becomes clear that the battle that the Israelites fought, it wasn't necessarily a battle between the Hebrews and the Canaanites or the Amorites. It was a battle between the Hebrews and Satan. Their battle was a spiritual one. And here's what we need to understand. When we talk about living And enjoying the joy of the promised land. When we talk about having the sweet spot in our relationship with God, we need to realize that there is a spiritual battle that's taking place. Listen to Paul speak to the Ephesians. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. In verse 14, he says, stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, does the idea of an actual spiritual battle, does the idea of, of a devil strike you as odd or, or outdated or something that you would see on the, on the sci-fi channel? You know, today it's in vogue to blame problems on genetics and governments and environments, but the Bible reveals a very real and present danger to our faith. Some call him the devil, and he's also referred to as the evil one, or the tempter, the accuser, the ruler of this world, he is named as Satan. And whatever name you choose, he is the enemy and he is real. But through the years, society has turned the devil into some cheap caricature. And so whenever I, I use this phrase, the devil, or we say Satan, we think of some red hooded creature with, with some type of forked tail and pointed ears. And yet scripture reveals a totally different picture. He's not the butt of jokes and the seller of canned meats. Instead, we are told to watch out. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, from the beginning, the devil has sought to disrupt the relationship that God has with his creation. The devil is real, and all you have to do is just look back through Scripture, and you see where where his tentacles reached. He deceived Eve in the garden. He incited David. He asked to sift Simon like wheat. He persuaded Judas Iscariot to, to go against and turn against Jesus. He tormented a woman in Luke's gospel for 18 years. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. He has power over everyone who does not obey God. You continue to look at scripture and you find he deceives and he incites. He sifts, he persuades, he torments, he blinds, and he rules. And understand, all this talk about a promised land life and living in the joy of God's promised land hasn't ticked off at you. Yeah, it's true. I have no doubt that he is very much concerned about you spiritually, and he is also concerned about us as a spiritual body. Because understand, Satan does not care if you go wander around in the wilderness. <laughs> go wander. Satan doesn't care if it's a church body. We walk in circles and we baptize what we're doing as being normal. Right? It doesn't bother Satan at all. But he does care when you begin stepping into the promised land of life. When you begin to dare to walk by faith and not by fear. When you become willing to lean on grace and not guilt. He gets more than just a little bit upset. You see, if you're somebody who says, hey, I'm going to live in the sweet spot of God's life, then that means that you're intending to listen to God's voice more and you're intending to listen to the devil's voice less, and that means that you, my friend, are now in enemy territory. And and I don't want to sugarcoat this, and I don't want you to be surprised by it. But Satan doesn't care if you do not care about putting God first. But if you care about being someone who walks in the light as he is in the light. If you care about someone, or if you care about walking in the footsteps of Jesus, then all of a sudden, you're in enemy territory. And so what do you do? Well, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a cue out of the pages of Joshua. And so I want you to go ahead, open up your Bibles, get out your cell phone, pull up your app. We're going to be primarily in Joshua chapter 4, a little bit in chapter 5 this morning. And I want you to see what God instructed the Hebrews to do before they engaged with their enemies there in Canaan. So Joshua chapter 4 says when all the people that crossed the Jordan the Lord said to Joshua now choose 12 men one from each tribe tell them take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan carry them out and pile them up at the place where you're going to camp tonight. And so you have representatives from each tribe they're gonna go and they're gonna walk back into that dry Jordan Valley and they're going to go and they're going to dislodge a rock. And then later that night, we're told in verse 19, that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. And then Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river before your eyes. Friends, if you want to survive, or or not just survive, but, but thrive in enemy territory, then you're going to have to remember what God has already done in your life. You see, each and every stone that was gathered from the Jordan was a reminder. It was a reminder of God's faithfulness. It was a reminder of God's power. It was also a reminder of the people's trust. The stones were a monument to God's protection and direction. Strength to endure the future conflicts was to come from the memory of past victories. You see, the Hebrews were only going to be successful to the extent that they were able to remember God and to remember the things that God had already done for them in their life. And it's why they were expected to pass along to their children the story of the Jordan crossing. So that the generations that came later would also know, man, we serve an awesome God. And they would gain strength from God's past faithfulness. And so if you're going to experience the sweet spot that is life with God, then you're going to have to start stacking some stones. You see, each time you experience a victory, each time you, you overcome a temptation, you stack up a mental stone. Or you make a note in your journal, you, you keep a mento to look back on. And then in the future, when your faith is being challenged, you go and you take a quick tour of God's accomplishments. And you remember the paycheck that he provided. You remember the prayers that he answered. The blessings that he has given. The people that he brought into your life at just the right time. Your best weapon against Satan's attacks is a good memory of God's protection. And see, because each stone then is a story, you don't keep it to yourself. But you share the story of God's faithfulness with others. You share it with your small group. You share it with your coworkers. You share it with your classmates. And by all means, share it with your children and grandchildren. Just please share it. Tell somebody what God has been doing in your life. Go ahead, let it be known. Don't keep God's work in your life to yourself. Share it. You know, we come together a lot and I talk about how And we were talking in the lobby, and we were having great conversations on the steps, right? And we talk about a lot of things whenever we come together. But remember that we come together to encourage one another. Our worship goes well beyond these walls, and we are worshiping every single day, no matter where it is that we go. And we have come here to be able to fill up our cup so that we might be able to bow before God when we leave this place. And what better way to fill our cup than to be able to listen to others share the stories of God's faithfulness. Talking to somebody this morning who said, Hey, I'm living in the sweet spot. I'm living in the sweet spot right now. And he said, I shared it with my small group last week. Guys, that's what we need to be doing. As we catch up and as we, we share together and as we give messages to each other during the week, there's got to be some type of connection between us where we share about the sweet spot life that we enjoy, that we share about what God has done and about what God is doing. We can't keep it to ourselves. It's never been meant that way. And so stack some stones and share some stories and declare with the psalmist, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord and may I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. Guys, if you want to thrive in enemy territory, then you've got to be able to remember what God has already done in your life. Let me look at um, another piece of advice. Similar to how your grandmother would never let you leave leave the house without saying, hey look, don't forget your raisin. God has a final instruction for his people before they go into battle. And he wants them to remember who they are. Now I want us to read a delicate piece of history from Joshua chapter 5. It says, At that time the Lord told Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they had left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years, until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed that He would not let them enter the land He had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. Now, 600 years earlier, 600 years before, God had instituted the practice of male circumcision as a sign of the covenant that he was making with the descendants of Abraham. Eight days after birth, every Hebrew male child was to be symbolically set apart by this delicate procedure to his male identity. The act was a reminder to the children of Abraham that they were a covenant people, that they belonged to God. And it was during their sojourn in the wilderness that the previous generation of Hebrews, well, they had abandoned this very important reminder. So before the new generation was to lay claim to Canaan, God needed to remind them of the special relationship that they had with him. He wanted to remind them who they were, but he also needed to remind them who they were not. Look at verse 9 in chapter 5. He says that after the men had been circumcised, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. You see, by renewing the covenant through the circumcising of all the Hebrew males, God was declaring a new identity for the people. He's saying, you no longer are who you used to be. You are no longer slaves. You are no longer wanderers. You are no longer connected to that previous generation who disobeyed me. You are mine. The circumcision was a symbolic separation from their past. God wanted to make sure that the Hebrews, when they went in and faced the physical and the spiritual battles in Canaan, that they did so with a proper understanding of their identity. And here's the cool thing. God intends the same and he desires the same for you and for me. You see, you might not know this, But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have experienced a spiritual circumcision. Listen to what Paul wrote to believers in Colossians chapter 2. He said, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You see, he's saying, look, Christ cut away from you your old life so that now there is something new. You no longer have the old temptations, the old desires. They're to be gone because at your baptism, he detached you from their power. He would tell the Romans in Romans chapter 6, for we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so you also may live new lives. Your baptism was a covenant moment. It was a declaration of a new identity. You're not the person that you used to be. Your former self no longer exists. You are no longer a slave to sin. And that new you belongs to God. And it's why we encourage individuals to say, look, if you've never thought about being baptized into Christ, this is something you've got to give serious thought to. This is not just some act that you go through. It's not just something that happens back here behind me in, in this pool of water or in some swimming pool or a lake somewhere. It's not just some act that you go through just to say, hey, look, I was baptized. It is a covenant moment. It is a new identity moment. And if you're someone who's saying, I want to no longer be a slave to sin and I want a new identity, then can I encourage you, please consider allowing your faith to lead you to baptism so that you might be able to experience a new identity in Christ. You see, God wants you to remember this. He wants you to know who you are because get this, Satan hopes you're going to forget Satan hopes you're not going to remember. He hopes you don't remember your baptism. He hopes you don't remember the faith that you had when you came to Christ. And so that's why you need to prove to him that you haven't forgotten. As you enjoy your promised land life, there are going to be moments when the enemy confronts you. And so you need to tell him. You need to tell him that you have been bought with a price and you belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. That you have been given a, not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. That you cannot be separated from the love of God. Romans 8 and verse 35. That you are able to find grace and mercy in your time of need. Hebrews four sixteen. You need to be able to tell them that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Philippians four thirteen. And that you cannot be tempted beyond what you can stand. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. And friends, when... When you begin to hear the lies that, that you are not good enough and that you are not faithful enough and that you are not pure enough, then you remind the devil that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I just get a, a, a pause for that right there? Is that not good stuff? Right? Is that not something we need to go, woohoo? I mean, that's a woohoo moment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is how promised land living people think. There is a reverent swagger that we are to have. There is a holy confidence. Now look, we don't discount the devil. We just don't obsess over him. We keep him in his proper place. I mean, after all, Scripture tells us that we are already victorious because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And because we have a confidence in our identity, then we can rest in God's protection. That's what the Hebrews did. Back to Joshua chapter 5. It says in verse 8 that after all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Now understand, this healing would have taken weeks. And during this time, their wives and their children would have been unprotected. During this time, the whole nation would have been vulnerable to attack. So how could they rest? Well, it's because of what it says in verse 1 of chapter 5 all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast, when they all heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. you understand what's happening? The story of God was already being shared. And because of what God had done and because of who the Hebrews were, their enemies were powerless to strike. So guys, stack up some stones and share some stories and embrace your identity. Let the world know about the awesomeness of your God. See, there's a spiritual battle that is taking place and your enemies need to hear what God has done for you. And they need to be reminded who, or better yet, whose you are. Friends, I truly believe that our best days with God are ahead of us. I believe this. I want you to believe this. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to tell you that there's not going to continue to be people and circumstances that Satan will use to cause you to question your inheritance. That's going to happen. And they're going to be critics and they're going to be naysayers and there's going to be temptations and they're going to be doubts And you're going to have have moments of great success that are going to be followed by seasons of absolute failure But here's what I want you to do In the future When you feel defeated And Satan thinks he is one And you were down to your final out. I want you to remember who you are. And I want you to remember what God has done. And then I want you to step up to the plate. And I want you to swing for the fence. And I want you to get your sweet spot. Slam from Drew Gilbert and Lindsey Nelson Stadium goes banana. Oh, and that awesome, Tennessee fans? Hey, who knew you were a baseball school, right? All this time we've been thinking you were a football school. No, man, no. You're a baseball school. Hey, man, did you see the excitement though? Did you see the excitement? Man, he hits it and you hear it. It's like pop, and man, it's All of a sudden, everybody in the stands, hands are up, right? Hands are up. Everybody knows it. I mean, helmets getting thrown, bats getting thrown up into the air. We've got the teammates rushing to home plate to greet him because of what's taking place. And let me tell you something that is nothing compared to the life that God wants for you to have with him. And he wants there to be that excitement, he wants there to be that enthusiasm. Where people who believe that they have been saved from their sins and set free from everything that Satan lies about are able to go, Woohoo! Yes! I'm living in the promised land. And we shout and we sing and we rejoice and we dance and we jump up and down and we throw the bats and we throw our helmets. The reason we don't have any songbooks in the pews, I don't want anybody throwing those this morning, alright? That's that's the reason. That's what it is. Hey, look, guys, look, you think I'm exaggerating. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. The best days of your life with God are ahead of you. Step up to the plate. Remember whose you are. Remember what God has done. And then swing for the fences. How about we stand and give God some praise this morning.